In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, Amen. My Lord and my God, I firmly believe that you are here, that you see me and that you hear me. I adore you with profound reverence. I ask your pardon for my sins and for the grace to make this time of prayer fruitful. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my guardian angel, intercede for me. As we contemplate Jesus in the Blessed Sacrament, having renewed our explicit faith in his personal presence, a personal presence that expresses itself right now in his seeing me, his hearing me, his interest, concern, his seeking me out. And as we begin with our eyes and our, our heart focused on him, I'd like to call to mind a poetic image from the book of Revelation, which is perhaps the most difficult and mysterious of all the books of the Bible. Normally people walk away from it scratching their heads, trying to understand what St. John is trying to do, but said very simply, what he, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is doing is using poetic images to describe the hidden mystery of God. And that's why it's called Revelation. Revelation, the book of the Apocalypse, the pulling back of the curtain so that we might see God in his eternal plan, what he wants to do and reveal. And one of the clearest and sharpest images of Jesus that St. John gives us is an image of Jesus talking to the churches and talking to each one of us. And this is what Jesus says. Listen, I am standing at the door knocking. If you hear my voice and open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. It's a very real and powerful image of our Christian life, of the sacrament of the Eucharist itself, but what we want to consider now is a powerful image of prayer of Jesus seeking me out, inviting himself even, knocking. One of the things about knocking at a door, someone who's coming to knock at the door is that they're, they're seeking, they're knocking, and they're waiting. Will you open? It's an initiative. It's a start that requires a response. It's open-ended. Jesus isn't at the door with a battering ram or explosives or an axe. He's knocking to see what we will do and how we will respond. Because right now we'll have distractions. We'll have, we have this nuclear cloud of incense that's expanding at the moment. We can have all sorts of things that can arise. But we always have the opportunity of opening the door, saying, Lord, I want to listen. Yes. 
And this very intimate image as well is when we do open and we let him come in, what does Jesus want to do? Why is he knocking at the door? What is he hoping to achieve? He wants to come in for dinner. Not because he's hungry or needy, but just as the most common human expression of friendship. Spending time together. Communion. Relationship. If you open the door, I will come into you and eat with you and you with me. These familiar images, and I'm sure these, these words of Jesus in the book of Revelation are words that we're familiar with, but these familiar images need to expand and open vaster horizons in our souls. What I mean by that is, what do I expect from prayer? Do I think that that personal conversation with Jesus is my bright idea, my initiative, or his? And it's on precisely this point I'd like for us to spend the rest of our time in prayer before the Blessed Sacrament. Jesus' initiative. A few weeks ago, Pope Francis was in Colombia in a pastoral visit. A very significant historic moment, actually, for Colombia as a country which has suffered horrifically for many, many years. Violence and, and war and corruption and kidnappings and all sorts of things. And a lot of division in the country as a result, as there always is the case when there's so much violence. And during that trip, kind of the theme that Pope Francis had for it was uh, que demos el primer paso. Let's take the first step. And in his address to the leaders of the church in Colombia, the, the clergy and the bishops, this is what the Pope said, trying to kind of unpack that idea. He said, God is the Lord of the first step. He always goes first. All of Scripture speaks of God as exiled from himself out of love. In other words, exiled from himself, having gone out from himself, out of love. In the fullness of time, he wanted to reveal to us the first step, the name of his first step. His name is Jesus, and he is an irreversible step. He comes from a love that precedes everything, because the Son is a living expression of this love. Now, this might sound like a very simple phrase, you know, that God is the Lord of the first step. But if we pray about it and try to, to draw out the significance, I think it actually tells us a lot about God and what God wants of us as Christians. Because it's not just that God is first in kind of sequential time, but I think if, if we you know, think of social situations, that we're very familiar with. Yeah. What it means to take the first step. And the way that we think about that will obviously be influenced by our temperament and personality a little bit. 
There's some people who are always taking the first step and they're really stepping in it as they do it, without even realizing it sometimes. You know, but for other people, I think for many people, to some degree or another, you know, to be in a social setting, maybe it's a dinner party with some people there that you don't know, to, you know, to walk up and just introduce yourself to someone. Or, you know, to send a text that's unsolicited. You know, do I push send or not? And then after you push send to read it three or four times, you know, did I really, how did it turn out or what did I say? Or they haven't responded. Was it something I said? And we go back and we look at it. And those, in small ways and in big ways, those first steps that, that there's a nervousness there. It's a moment where we experience insecurity, uncertainty. And oftentimes people, precisely because of that nervousness and insecurity, do not take a first step. How many relationships have never begun or have never grown because those initiatives don't happen? Breaking the ice or whatever, however we want to call it. And what's, what's involved in taking that first step is risk to some degree or another. Even if it's, I mean, the risk is very small, you know, I mean, sometimes, you know. But other times, you know, in a relationship or even in a business context or in our family sometimes, if we're trying to, to overcome a, an old resentment or a lack of forgiveness, you know, sometimes the risk can be felt to be very high. The risk, the risk basically consists of opening ourselves to rejection, indifference, being misunderstood. But to take that first step, to say, whether it's, again, a social setting or there's a business proposition or always involves confidence and it is a gesture of confidence to take a first step a willingness to overcome that uncertainty or that awkwardness and the confidence arises from this conviction that it's worth it I'm gonna go talk to that person or I'm gonna I'm gonna ring her back Right? She hasn't been in touch with me for a while. I'm going to reach out to her. Or I'm going to... This other family member who hasn't been talking to me. Also, I think and this is maybe the most obvious point about this phrase, taking the first step. Once someone takes the first step, it's so much easier to take the second step. Right? Again, in a social situation. And this is why some people who have nice social graces... They're very just kind of good at walking in and so, you know, just starting a conversation and everyone around can enter into the conversation and it starts to flow and there's a sense of openness because someone took the first step. If everyone just kind of stands around nervously, you know, staring into their wine glass, things are a little bit more tense, right? So the first step makes a second step and then a third step and a fourth step and then everything's flowing and there's relationships begin to evolve and all of this is happening. In fact, that's the purpose of a first step, that there be a second one. If we take that very, I think, familiar social experience and lift it up to our relationship with God, it tells us a lot, I think. And this is what Pope Francis wants us to consider. Jesus, as we contemplate him right now in the Eucharist, is that first step. And what a first step.
He comes with his life. And as Pope Francis says, irreversibly. So in other words, if we ignore, he gives it anyway. If I'm too busy, he still makes the first stop. Indeed, if I reject him and turn to a life of sin, like the father of the prodigal son, he's watching for me to return. And all I have to do is show a little bit of interest and initiative, and he takes the first step. He runs out to meet the prodigal son who's returning. Listen, I am standing at the door, knocking. We might feel ourselves at times unable to take a step towards God. And it's not because we're objectively unable, it's just because we feel that way. Maybe because we feel inadequate, or for no real clear reason, we just have a sense that surely he must be annoyed at me because I'm not good enough, or because of these other things, or because of this sin, or what's happened to me, or these. Or I just don't know if I can keep it up. You know? Life of prayer. I have so many times I experience my relationship with God as kind of a series of fireworks go off and, whoo, wouldn't it be wonderful? And then two weeks go by and, and we're back to where I was, where I started from. You know, when you go through a lot of fireworks, a lot of times it can be a little bit discouraging over time. And it can make us doubt of that if it's really worthwhile to respond to that first step. Well, the way that we need to respond right now in our prayer, and I invite you to do it, in the silence of your own heart is by opening the door. Saying, yes, Lord, it is worthwhile. I want to listen to you. I want to believe in you. There's so many instances in the gospel where we see how Jesus is indeed the first step, the one who takes the initiative. Peter, James, and John who would become Jesus' most intimate friends, princes of the apostles. How did they come to know Jesus? They were working away at the end of the day, washing their nets as fishermen, which was their horizon. They, they fished. So maybe, you know, that day they were hoping to get a little bit more fish, so as to have a little bit more money, so that maybe things would be a little bit easier at home. And that was, you know, and then do it again, you know, reload, replay, do it again. That was the horizon. Until Jesus took the first step, and the first step was literally a step. He got into their boat, and he started to preach. And they started to hear about the kingdom of God, that it was coming near in the person of Jesus, that all of the prophecies were pointing to him, and that something climactic and earth-changing was happening, not in some far-off place, not in some amazing, miraculous way, but right now in this man from Nazareth. And intrigued and curious and moved in their hearts by the Holy Spirit, Jesus takes a second step and he says, put out into the deep and let out your nets for a catch. Another step. And you see how those steps are open-ended. Peter could have said, uh, no, that's okay, look, because it's really late and we were fishing already and we know it's not going to really waste our time and you know, we got family and stuff back at home and you know, we'll take you back to shore now. You, know? you got into our boat in the first place anyway. You know? <laughs> could have ended that way. It's open-ended. 
There was no fate. This, this beautiful dance between the divine and human freedom. Call and response. And Peter says yes, and they go out into the deep and they let down their nets for a catch. And then Jesus takes another step and there's a miracle. And so, and it, so it goes. Step by step by step. A whole series of moments where there's an invitation to believe. There's a risk. There's something I need to go forward. I have to put my life on the line in a big way at moments. Many other times when it's just a question of embarrassment and shame. After Jesus preaches to the crowds that he is the bread come down from heaven, that unless you eat his flesh and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Many of his disciples find that very hard to understand and to accept. It seems passing strange. And they begin to walk away because they say, well, maybe all of these criticisms from the scribes and the Pharisees are true. You know, if you look around, none of the really important people are following Jesus. And they begin to walk away, and the tide turns, and Jesus turns to his closest friends. And he takes the first step. Will you also walk away? He brings it out into the open. You know, no awkward sweeping under the rug, and let's just pretend that nothing happened, and just carry on. Jesus draws it out. Will you also walk away? And Peter responds. Lord, to whom will we go? You have the words of eternal life. He takes the step back. This is what a Christian vocation consists of. Responding to Jesus' first step by saying yes or asking for forgiveness when I haven't said yes, and that's another step too. I think at this point it would be helpful to try to call attention of how this idea of God as the Lord of the first step and how Jesus' interaction with the apostles and how he wants to do with us is, is a step and another step forward. Call attention to how different that is from the tendency that all of us have, to one degree or another, to what I'm just going to call perfectionism. Perfectionism. You know, the kind of reaction that we have when we hear talk of prayer maybe some of the ideas that I've even been saying up until now, we hear talk of prayer and think, oh, I should be able to pray. You know? Or we hear that God loves us, and we think, oh, why don't I feel that love in a passionate way? In other words, we hear an ideal, we imagine what perfection is, and then we expect that already to be a reality in our life. But of course we discover that it's not. We find that it's hard, that it requires effort. And then that discovery almost proves to us that we're not up to it. We don't have what it takes. And we can maybe feel a little bit nervous, or we can ignore it, or we can just stay stuck. Whereas Jesus is saying to us, Open the door to me now and let me step in. Today, we're not going to go for a 35-kilometer hike. We're just going to take a step. And you're going to take another one. 
and then another one. You know, a step is always a doable thing. It's actionable in any moment. It's possible. It's to hand. That's what Jesus is inviting us to. And what St. Josemaria, the founder of Opus Dei, wanted us to discover is that in our work, in our friendships, in our social relations, that step is always available. By trying to be diligent in what needs to be done, trying to really get good at my job so that I can serve others better, putting people first as I go about it, so being patient with them and making time for them, which requires me to live a little bit more a spirit of sacrifice for my own stuff, you know, being a little bit more demanding so that I have more time for other people. All of those examples that I just kind of put forward, just very simply like that, are all examples of taking a step. St. Josemaria used to, in fact, one of his, the books of his homilies has his title. He used to like to uh, use this phrase in his preaching saying, Christ is passing by your side. He's walking next to you. He's right with you. And he would use the, that encounter that the two disciples had with Jesus on the road to Emmaus after Jesus' resurrection as the example to that. And he would say that now, after the resurrection, the entire world has become Emmaus. Jesus' firm, decisive stride right next to us, inviting us to follow him one step at a time, one decision, one sacrifice, one smile, one act of patience, one willingness to seek forgiveness and mercy at a time. And that's really the opposite of this perfectionism, because if we're taking a step, if we're walking, we're willing to patiently accept that I'm not there yet. You know? I think all of us have gotten to an age, you know, we were kids when we were driving somewhere, you know, Daddy, are we there yet? You know? Because we just expected to get in the car and just be there. But now we're in an age where we know that, well, if a trip's going to take two hours, well, guess what? <laughs> going to take two hours, you know, and that's how long we're going to be in the car. And, and, and the fact that we've been an hour and a half in the car isn't proof of we're never going to get there. Actually, it means I'm almost there. Because <laughs> we've got to take, you know, one turning of the wheel at a time. So when we experience our limitation, our shortcomings, our weakness, we should never interpret that as, aha, I knew I wasn't up for this. Maybe I should just go back to whatever. Peter and James could have gone back to fishing. Moses could have gone back to being the shepherd of his father-in-law's sheep. You know, everyone who was called, who God took initiative in their life, could have gone back, but no, to continue forward. I'd like to go back to, to the words of Pope Francis, because he, after making this consideration, he goes through, kind of does a... a a synopsis of all of the Old Testament, different ways and moments in which God took the first step. But then he applies it to us, you know, how our union with Jesus, who is the irreversible initiative of God, that first step of God, how our union with him should help us start taking the first step. 
He says, this is what Pope Francis says, those people who recognize him and accept him receive as an inheritance the gift of being introduced into the freedom of being able to take the first step in him. These people are not afraid of losing themselves if they go out of themselves. So if we recognize and accept that Jesus is coming towards me, he is taking the initiative, that he is this gift, what I then have to receive as an inheritance is the gift of being able to take the first step. Just one word, just a consideration there on this idea that the Pope says of the inheritance. I think it's important. What's important is an inheritance is something I receive simply because I'm the child. It's mine because of who I am, not because of how good I am at something. And you and I have as an inheritance the identity of being God's child. And what Pope Francis wants us to see is that if I claim that inheritance, since I can't earn it, I just need to claim it, the more I claim that inheritance as my own, in my faith that Jesus is taking the first step towards me, claiming it is then that my step needs to be towards others. In friendship, and patience, and service, sacrificing that personal comfort, as we mentioned a few moments ago, and that ease. To go out of myself, to run the risk, because I'm confident in God's love for me, that he is taking that first step with me. I don't know how much you've heard about in the news, uh, these uh, ongoing debates in the United States on college campuses of so-called safe spaces and trigger-free zones and, you know, different universities across the U.S. of there being actual rooms and places where students can go so that they don't hear anything that might be offending or they might disagree with and they'll be traumatized for and just to have a safe space. Now, it might be easy to kind of snicker at this, but we need to be careful that we don't throw stones in glass houses. Because all of us, even if it might not be an architectural reality, as a psychological and a spiritual one, we can have our little safe spaces too. My routine, the things that I like to do, and I have safe space. The comfort of my family, of the people who already know me and put up with me and accept me and that I feel comfortable with and I just kind of can let my hair down there and safe space. The friends, you know, the two or three of them that I've always had, safe space. God is knocking on our heart, he's knocking on the door not only to get in, but oftentimes so as to get out. So that he can take the first step in other people's lives through us. 
But in order for that to happen, we have to claim as an inheritance that freedom of not being afraid ourselves to take the first step. That person at work, an invitation to coffee, to get to know them. Who are they? What's going on with them? And even if they have very different beliefs or background or whatever, a child of God, how can I help this person? And maybe just right now, again, in the privacy of your own prayer, just ask yourself sincerely, where are the first steps in my life? That initiative that's coming because of this inheritance that I have received, being God's child, and therefore I have nothing to lose. Maybe that's another way of talking about this, taking a first step. Just realizing that since God's love is so abundant, His assurance is unto eternal life. What do I have to lose? What am I clinging on to? What am I protecting myself from? If Jesus' love is so real and so abundant. Jesus is calling us by name to be apostles. People who are willing to leave their safe spaces in order to bring others closer to Christ. And that's a vaster horizon because safe spaces are suffocating spaces normally. We don't grow there. We wither there. So contemplating our Lord, let's ask him for hope. Hope, which is that supernatural, that divine conviction that it's worthwhile as possible. We may not be able to run a marathon, but every single one of us can take a step. And we don't need to wait because the first step has already been taken. He's there for me. And whether it's me needing to right now turn to him and asking for forgiveness, perhaps even in the sacrament of confession, or just a greater and more generous act of faith, Lord, I entrust myself to you. That's how I respond to his first step. And Mary is a mother. And mothers are very good at anticipating the needs of their children. You know, they can kind of almost sense when they're about to fall. Or they already notice that they're trying to go out the house without enough clothes on. They need another jumper or another jacket. Or they're anticipating. They see what is needed. And Mary is constantly doing that for us. Trying to anticipate our needs. And that's why we try to pray to her with more trust and more confidence. That she can help us open the door so that we might let Christ in. And that with him we can keep that door open and go out to others. I thank you, my God, for the good resolutions, affections, and inspirations you've communicated to me in this meditation. I ask your help to put them into effect. My Immaculate Mother, Saint Joseph, my Father and Lord, my Guardian Angel, intercede for me.